Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode. We're on Season 8, Episode 13. This week's episode was the first half of our journey through the thoughts and mind and heart of Agnes Courtney through her prayer journal titled Dear Lord. Joined today here in the studio by Zach Weaver. Hey, guys. And Mike Bussing. Hey, Bob. All right, got a lot to talk about. Let's go ahead and get started. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, our first question comes from Lynn. What are your main takeaways from reading Dear Lord? Has it changed your opinion about anyone? If yes, who? I'll let you start with that, Zach. What'd you think of the episode and Agnes's journal? Well, the first thing I think we have to take away is the fact that these weren't supposed to be open to the public. Right. I think that's huge. I think because a lot of people are taking away, are taking a lot from Agnes, meaning that, you know, she seems like she's down. She seems kind of miserable all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I took away. But we also have to kind of hold that with a grain of salt, knowing that these are supposed to be private journal entries. Right. And, you know, and there was a lot of like people's first reaction on the fan page. There was a lot of people, I don't want to say judging, but it's like, you know, man, Agnes seemed like this type of person or that type of person. Like, you got to understand these are one, one side of conversations that weren't meant for public consumption. So we got to think about that. And there's a certain bit about it that almost feels a little icky because it's, it's very personal. Mm-hmm. But a big part of what we do and a very important and critical part of an investigation is victimology. And in my opinion, this is the absolute best possible look we can have into Agnes as a person, how she thinks. So like even, you know, because a lot of people are saying like this is, you know, you can't put too much on this as far as what that family dynamic was like because it's one-sided. That may be true. But what I'm looking for is how does Agnes think? Mm-hmm. How is she perceiving the situation and what does she want to happen moving forward? And that was a big deal. My opinion of Agnes wasn't really changed. The person I saw in those journals was for the most part kind of the person I expected to find in those journals, if that makes sense. She seems like a very caring and giving person, but almost to the point of martyrdom. Hmm. I have people that I know who are like very giving. But they, they love to talk about how they give it to the point of like, oh, you need help with that? Here's some money for it. 
but then turn around and, you know, be able to tell their friends, like, I had to take care of so-and-so again. And I had to, you know, it's, it's almost like they want to have that as a point yeah, of conversation. That, that makes sense what you're saying. But then again, again, this is just her personal journal. But that, but to me, like that, she reminded me of this particular person that I have in my mind. So but it, it just wasn't, it wasn't surprising to me. I was a little surprised. I was very surprised, actually, at her attitude towards Smitty. So let's talk about that for a second. What did you think about that? You know, that's not the person I thought she was. I, I can see her, the, the attitude towards her daughters and, and believing they're ungrateful and that mm-hmm. kind of, but she she just didn't seem super happy with Smitty. You know, she she worried about him working. She just thought he was going to work until he died. Because well, at one point of, she called him a wimp. Yeah. I was surprised because she seems like, to me, prior to this, as that, and she was described to me by her, uh, by her niece as she was like your typical classic old school Southern woman. Mm-hmm. And when I and one thing that I found interesting, maybe other people don't, but weird from something that I've never seen this before. I'm sure it's common, but uh, all the checks that she signs, she signs her that I saw at the D, at the clerk's office. She signs her name, Mrs. Lloyd Courtney, hmm. which is just interesting. You know, yeah. that, it, it kind of fits into that kind of classic old school Southern woman type. She doesn't even sign her own name, but but maybe this is just an outlet for her. Right. You know, knowing that it's supposed to be secure in hers, this is maybe this is just an outlet of really being able to still have those those feelings inside and let them out, but right. still treat Lloyd the way that she does, that with a loving, caring. Sure. And, and I, I, you're 100% right. I don't think that we should take that to mean anything as far as her relationship with Lloyd, because this isn't just a journal. It's a prayer journal, mm-hmm. which for anybody that's ever, you know, is involved in prayer or, or faith and has done a prayer journal. Like it's literally supposed to be meant to like your most your most interpersonal thoughts and concerns taken to God asking for help. So is this? I mean, the listeners can answer, but is this a thing? I mean, is a prayer journal a thing? I, this sure. is the first time I've ever heard of a prayer journal. So yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. I could see praying, but I didn't realize people would actually physically write them down or record them for themselves. Yeah, I've known a lot of people that I've had them before, like through you know I've I've grown up a Christian through church my whole life, and I've been in like you know, Bible or, you know, small groups and stuff that suggested a prayer journal just to help capture your thoughts and focus yourself. And it's just a thing. Some people do, some people don't. Okay. So it wasn't weird for me to see that she was docu- that she was writing down her prayers. And and also it's, it seems to me that based on the date, like, it's not like she does it all the time. It's just mm-hmm. like when she's really, really feeling something, it's a, kind of like an outlet for her to put it on paper. So you, you said that. So the journal entries that were read, I mean, that was, that was all the journal entries that you had? Or was there was the first that, half? Yes, yeah, that was okay. So that wasn't picked and choose. That was all everything that was. No, there. that was right directly. If someone asked that because they said it could, because the the document that I posted on the website, they said looked like a, like our our show script, mm-hmm. and they want to know if it was and it, that was our show script. But it's because the the way that I had to move the they were all in separate files. But no, I, I went through and cataloged all of them and put that. That's one hundred percent everything in order uh, the way they were. So it does look that way, but that's the order they were written in. And that's all there was. Not nothing was skipped, you know, other than the uh, the redacted stuff. Which some of the redacting was weird, but uh, but anyway, getting back to Lloyd, it was. Uh, I think there's a lot of insight to be pulled from that, as far as we're looking at vi- victimology of the crime itself, right? Something triggered someone to do to do this, and she describes Lloyd as non-confrontational, mm-hmm. doesn't want to get in conflict even with his family. She describes him as a wimp, which I don't take to mean you know like not a strong person, but. She's feel Agnes is feeling that way because she's having problems and she wants him to intercede and he doesn't want to get involved, which she describes as being wimpy. So that's not like physical strength or anything, but just seems like a very 
easygoing, non-confrontational, doesn't want to get involved in stuff. So if we're looking at Deborah as a suspect, as far as the victimology, you know, some people have suggested prior to this that, you know, well, maybe Smitty told her, you know, we're cutting you off or this, you know, something could have, you know, that to me, after reading what we've read so far, which things can change in, you know, this week when we read the second half, uh, that seems very unlikely to me. It doesn't seem like Smitty would be the one, A, making that decision or B, executing that, those discussions. So I do have one more question before we move on that I don't think is brought up, but I know we've talked about a little bit. So you found these files on the computer. Were the fonts matching any of the other fonts that we've talked about previously no. in the season? No, I haven't analyzed them, but one thing I just noticed looking at it is that I believe it's a bigger font. I think it's, it may be like an 11 instead of a 10. I'm not positive about it. I kind of just moved on from the fonts because it seems like you know, we know what the default was, and it seems like Agnes would change fonts. But then again, we have to remember, too, it's not like she changed it every time she wrote one because it, it's one. F- so there's one file. It's one document that's been added onto, but the police like screenshot it into individual PDFs is why I have it in different files. Okay. But so, you know, if she started it at the very beginning, said, I want it to be, say, for example, Veranda 12 point, mm-hmm. then from then on, it will always be that. Yep. You know, so it's not like it was changed multiple times. Sarah says, according to the dates in Agnes's journal, her entries became more and more frequent. The count is as follows. One entry in May, one in June, four in July, seven in August, and eight out of the 11 days of September that we have heard so far. Do we see this as significant? Do you think this shows an ever-increasing tension that Agnes is feeling in the family? I think they could be a number of things. Surely, I mean, we can tell from her writing that she's feeling the tension more and more. But it, it could be anything from a change in schedule, getting more comfortable using the computer, you know, a lot of, you know, I mentioned you know, a lot of times, like in a, maybe a small group or something in a church, they may suggest the, the journaling. It could be like, you know, she's in a group that's like, hey, let's make this a priority to do this every day. So she's intentionally trying to do it more often. It could be anything. Well, and she could be finding the benefit from it more. A, a purpose of this is to help get things off your chest. Right. So maybe she's realizing as she does it more, she's getting more off her chest and is mm-hmm. feeling better. So it sure. could be just something like that too. Yeah. But it, definitely the, the tensions are increasing and kind of jumping back to that first question, you know, as far as. When we said, as far as, you know, what impressions do we get from people in the journal, Brenda is one that, you know, people have, there's been a lot of discussion about the re, the interaction or the relationship between Brenda and Sarah and Agnes based on this. And, and that's where it's like, this is one-sided, meaning Agnes's impression is that Brenda is ungrateful and basically she has a new boyfriend and, and she likes his family better. And so she's like, screw the rest of you. And she's pushing Sarah to do the same. The reason that that's happening could be very different. It could be that, you know, Agnes is just overbearing and is being, you know, we, we get the impression that there is, uh, that, that Agnes had some interaction with Sarah that upset Brenda. And I almost wonder if she has revealed things about her past to Sarah, if you kind of read between the lines. So there could be, a, you know, legitimate reason. But what, what we do see from this is, you know, I, I don't think that we can use these entries to make any kind of judgment on what kind of person or personality traits or character traits for Brenda. You, you, you can't judge Brenda based on Agnes's perception of Brenda, if that makes sense. You know, so, so you could read that and be like, oh, Brenda sounds horrible. Well, that's just based on what Agnes is saying. There's another side of the story. There could be a much, you, you could read Brenda's journal and have a different take on it. But what we do take from it that I think helps with, with our victimology is we do get a good understanding of the relationship, and that's what's important to me. It's not that I think Brenda is good or bad or that I think Deb is good or bad 
or Paul is good or bad, or Smitty is good or bad. But I want to see what is that, and we get a good description of what those family dynamics look like, what the relationships look like. You know, and, and to me, it seems that you have, you know, Brenda has just completely pushed them away, which is what, you know, we had heard from other family members prior to this, that she basically was just, you know, had was completely estranged from the Courtney's. Deb, it seems like more, you know, you, Agnes even says at one point, Deb tries to help as much as she's capable of, and Brenda doesn't try at all. So, so I, I didn't get the impression from it that, that Deb is like pushing away or not doing enough. She's just very concerned about Deb's, you know, mental health issues and her hospitalization and the, she's over medicated, you know, as, as far as Agnes, Agnes thinks. But anyway, it, it gives us a good look at that, at the dynamics. And that's what's more important. So keep that in mind as you're, as you're considering this. Don't use this as a way to pass judgment on, on really even Agnes, but, but certainly not. Lloyd or Brenda or Deb or Paul or James, any of those people or Sarah or Angela, because you know it, it's only the what we're seeing is how Agnes perceives the situation, which is important to us to understand how she does perceive it. But that doesn't mean that's what's actually happening. I came from a low income family that was that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GCE became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Laura says, if the note didn't exist and you just looked at the way that the victims were killed, do you think there was any indication that one was more the target than the other? I don't. They were, their autopsies are almost identical as far as like number of blows, number of cuts. They all had the coup de gras wound. They both had the coup de gras wound. They were both killed by a stab to the neck area, either one the jugular, one the carotid. Very similar number of blows. It appears Agnes was caught off guard, in my opinion, caught off guard while she was sleeping in bed. And it appears Lloyd was possibly caught off guard while he was sitting on the couch. It, it's harder to, to narrow that down with Lloyd because, you know, it, it's clear that the attack was started in the living room. But based on what we see with the coffee table knocked out and, and the blood spatter patterns, it could have easily been, just as easily been him opening the front door, taking a blow to the head and falling onto the couch. You know, it, it looks like Maybe he was sitting on the couch when the attack started, but we definitely don't know that. It very easily could have been that he was standing somewhere near the couch when it started. But as far as, you know, I mean, they were they were both killed in, in very much the same way. We don't see any evidence of what we, we call an undoing when you're studying criminal behavior analysis, which, you know, they're not, you know, covering up the bodies or, you know, anything you see a lot of times when you have, not always, but a lot of times when you see, you know, a close personal relationship, there's a guilt that comes and then they try to, you know, someone will try to cover up the body cover up the face, things like that, you know, that wasn't present in either one. I just don't see any indication. I mean, shoot, for for that matter, there's no, the only indication we have that 
Lloyd, the attack on Lloyd happened before the attack on Agnes is the fact that, you know, he was clearly at that time awake in the other room and he wouldn't have still been sitting there while his wife's getting murdered, whereas opposed to the other way around, it's possible that the attack on Lloyd was happening in the living room and if Agnes was in the back bedroom sleeping that she might not have heard it. But I, I don't see. What do you think, Zach? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any evidence. I mean, the other factor you could look at is like overkill on a body, but they were both, you know, basically overkill on both bodies. See, so I, was, I disagree with that, that, that term and a lot of people have used it. To me, overkill is, well, I mean, technically, when what overkill is, is when you have killed someone and then you continue. So it's like. So you continue to stab them or whatever. Yeah, like I shoot you in the head and you're mm-hmm. dead and then I shoot you 20 more times. Mm-hmm. Or I stab you in the heart and you're dead and I stab you 50 more times. In this case, every single injury leading up to the final injury, which was the, the stab wound to the neck, mm-hmm. was non-fatal. Everyone was necessary. So it's like I hit you with the pan, you don't go down. I hit you again. You don't go down. I grab another pan. I hit you. You don't go down. I try stabbing you. You keep fighting. So this 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 was not overkill because you know there, there was not a single injury other than the stabs to the neck were fatal on either. Like if if they each didn't take those small stab wounds with the jugular and carotid, mm-hmm. they would have lived through this attack. So I, I don't think that it's that it's overkill. But to your point, they were consistent. Yeah, I guess both that's of them. yeah. That would be more what I'm saying. And and I appreciate you correcting me. But mm-hmm. that would be more what I was saying is the fact that both bodies were, were beaten pretty badly. There wasn't right. one that was beaten more than the other one. Or- yeah. Like, it, again, almost the same number. I want to say it was like seven. They each had like 17 blunt force wounds, you know, and they're a little bit different. Uh, we are going to get into the autopsies because uh, I got a little more information on that just from some photos we got at the DA's office probably c- coming up next week. It was a plan for this week before I found these documents. So there's a little differences, even though the numbers the same, but they're not necessarily in the same place. But you know, I don't I don't see anything indicating that one was more of a target than the other. Personally, I think the more and more I look at it, I think that there was probably only one of them was a target, that they were attacked, and then after a regrouping, found the other person. You know, so like if, if someone comes in and kills Lloyd, and then they like gather themselves, and then they go in the back and find oh, there's Agnes too. And they went with the same means of attack as they did with in the first one because it ultimately worked. He ended up dead. Paula says, I still want to know more about the circumstances surrounding Brenda's adult adoption. How did they know her? What did the adoption accomplish as an adult? There's still a lot of questions around that. This is what I do know. Uh, you, you hear throughout the diary, uh, Agnes mentioning Jack and Vanita. Hopefully I'm getting these names right. And Aaron. First of all, Vanita is Agnes's sister. Jack and Vanita, I think his name was Jack, but anyway, they had a son named Aaron. So Aaron is Agnes's nephew. Aaron married Brenda, and they were married for some time. They had Sarah together, and then they, this is what we know, they got divorced, and then Agnes adopted Brenda uh, as an adult. As far as the why, I've heard that we've talked about different theories. I do not know the actual reason why we've seen where or Deb says in her letter that she got to pick her sister and, and we get from Agnes's writings that that they were, you know, that that she needed their help, that, you know, she was, you know, she said, we were there for you when they needed it the most. Um, it sounds like there is some potentially maybe she almost reads as though there might have been some abuse or it was just financial issues. I don't know. It, and it doesn't sound like that was anything contentious. Because you would think if, if so, if, if I adopted the ex-wife of my brother's son, 
you'd think my brother would be upset about that. Uh, but there, there doesn't seem to be. She talks about Vanita and 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 Jack in in good light. She talks about Aaron. You, you just don't. But you, anytime you're reading in that diary or in the journal where you hear Sarah, you know, and, and her relationship with her dad. Where you, sometimes she calls him her dad. Sometimes she calls him Aaron. That's Agnes's nephew. So if that makes sense, clear as mud. So essentially, Brenda was an outsider to the family. Married Agnes's nephew. They had a baby. They got divorced, and then Agnes ado- and Lloyd adopted Brenda, the ex-wife of Agnes's nephew. Erica says, "I looked through the computer forensic document, but didn't see this answer. Can we tell when Dear Lord was created and all the dates it was accessed? If the murders were premeditated, is it possible any entries were modified, assuming the killer knew this existed?" I know that my computer today has a version history that shows all the times I've modified a document. Did anything like this exist back in 2001? I don't have the documents right in front of me. I believe it was created in May, according to what we have in the computer forensic report that I can read. Now, there may be something in like the, the, the logs or code that someone knows a little better, but all it shows is the date the file was created and the date the, the file was last written, written on. And that was, I, th- I think it was, this is one of the ones that I brought up that. You know, we show the last shutdown being like on Halloween, and then on November 1st, we have this file being accessed. So it was created, I think, in May, and then it was last accessed on on the 1st, the day before the murders. Uh, and the, But there was no nothing after that, so it doesn't look like anything was modified according to the logs. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Shannon says, do you, Mike, and Zach believe that there was a tall, dark-haired man in blue in the backyard that day? Hmm. Well, she wants to know everybody. We'll start with Zach. I, I have no reason to believe that there wasn't a tall, dark-haired man in the, the backyard. If Dr. Abelos says there was, you know, I, I don't have a reason to believe that there wasn't. I don't know what the gentleman would be doing there. I don't know what's happening, but I don't know a reason why she would make that up if it wasn't there. Your thoughts, Mike? I agree with Zach for the most part, but I could see where maybe Dr. Avalo saw somebody that wasn't necessarily killer, uh, as in the uh, people who were doing work at the house uh, around the time of the murders and mistook them. Yeah, I, I think that, yes, I think that Dr. Avalo saw something in the yard. So the only, th- the only way that I would think, in my opinion, that that didn't happen is if she was confused because of the night shift and sleeping. You know, she was tired. She got woken up by her dogs a couple times, you know, that maybe she could have blended, you know, remember she says she thought it was Halloween. Mm-hmm. She could have blended it with another time. Of course, there's, we don't have any 
evidence that there was anybody in blue coveralls the day before or the day before that in the backyard. Uh, we had the lawn workers that were in the front yard, but there's gates to get to the back. But so I, I think I think we have to at least consider the fact that she could be confused. But it's just, man, as far as conveniences and, and coincidences, like what are the odds that when she's questioned, she says, my dogs were barking, they woke me up, and I saw this man who she describes in detail at the time in the backyard who back then she said she looked like very surprised to see me. It just happens to be that's when the Courtney's got murdered. It's just too much of a coincidence for me. And then when we have two other neighbors report that they heard the dogs barking in an unusual way, enough to note around that time as well. I think it's there's just there's too many. If it weren't for that, if we didn't have those added pieces that kind of balance it together, I'd be like, ah, oh, it's you have to say it's possible she got the wrong day or was dreaming it or whatever. But then when you also have the neighbors corroborating the facts that there were dogs barking. And, of course, you hear dogs barking all the time, but they they noted that there was something different going on that day. And to be honest with you, after being to the scene, and we'll talk about this um, coming up soon, but I almost think that if the killer did come in that, that way, that they actually accessed the Courtney's yard through Dr. Abelos's yard. And that might be what got the dogs fired up. All right. Our last question comes from Soraya. Paul, as described by Agnes, waved all kinds of red flags for me. Anger problem, a look in his eye, is saying things that bother her and her fear he will leave Deborah and take Angela, which Agnes was willing to do anything to prevent. And what happened? Didn't Paul end up with Angela and Deborah and Agnes out of the way? Victims' fears are usually good predictors, according to Laura Richards, and Paul has a serious criminal record. As we know from the Heyman Lee case, quote, watertight alibis can fail to bits when attempts are made to truly verify. Hardy didn't seem to think verifying Deb's movements was important. Do we have any firsthand evidence, such as GPS printout, interviews with customers to check Paul was actually the person who did their work, to show Hardy fully checked his alibi? Hardy's notes sometimes don't match their source docs. I want to get into Paul a little more. And Soraya's... Right, and, and some of you that have really done some digging know this. Some of you that haven't or haven't been on the social media don't know. But yeah, but Paul does have a criminal record. I haven't really got into it because, as it looks to me, the source documents do match Hardy's records here. So in the case file, there is the actual GPS printout that logs Paul's movements throughout the entire day. It literally shows where he was at, what time he checked in with a customer, what time he left. When he went to the next one, the routes he took, like all of that is in the log. And as far as, you know, this is very different than you know, than Don's alibi during the, you know, in, in the Heyman Lee case where, you know, somebody just called and talked to his mom and his mom said, yep, he's working. And then there's these weird forged time cards. You know, th- this is not a, as far as we know, relative of his. And, you know, the GPS logs are pretty darn cut and dry. That being said, he will still be a topic that we will dig into and verify that because we just don't leave any stone unturned. And we've definitely found problems with what seemed like an airtight alibi before. So we will get there at some point as we continue along to to verify all that. But as of right now, I have no reason to believe that Paul was anywhere other than at work that day on the and really on the other side of town when the murders occurred. Uh, and so you said that was the last question, Mike? That's right, Bob. All right. So we're going to wrap things up. Make sure you tune in on Sunday. Uh, later this afternoon, my wife will be stepping back in the studio again to uh, play her role, which I want to thank her. Uh, that's, this, she's, this is not something she's comfortable with, doing recordings like this, um, but she's been a real trooper and has been doing a great job playing the part of Agnes. And we're going to read this Sunday, 
the journal going all the way from the day after 9-11 to the morning before Agnes's murder. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 per month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. Lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com and like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Truth. Mike can be found at MurbGaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G, and Zach can be found at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. This has been Truth and Justice. Turn my camera that oh, way. Really or actually, no, wait, wait, wait. Let me just. Do you really want me to do that? Let me just do this. That's better. Uh, I'll, I'll move it. I feel like it needs to go that way a little. But you know how well I move things. Just a little more towards the tree. Just a, just a skosh. Right. Uh, nope. A little back a little. Right there. Perfect. Centered. Got it. Why? Well, I, I feel like I fill up the whole screen. Am I that large? No. No, I just do you a better fill up job. One of, third of it. I do a better job of framing the. You're one third of it. Camera. But look, it's like Bob's head.
in in your head. Well, if I sit up like you are, then it's got me in there. And then my my if I sit up, my head's out of the top of it. That's right. That's perfect. I have to like. That's perfect. Don't you love an extra hundred dollars in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.